powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to friends, foes, and neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, because what you're about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show! Prepare yourself for pop culture, commentary, and interviews featuring no drama and no controversy, guaranteed. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Productions Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hey there! Thank you for that amazing welcome, would you, Adam and Neva, but another brand spanking new episode of the Derek Duvall Show is here, and I am so thrilled you've chosen to wisely spend your time with me. First off, how about that Chinese rocket incident? Wow, right? The whole ordeal played like a journalist's wet dream. Where will the rocket land? What kind of damage? Thankfully, the rocket landed safely in the Indian Ocean, close enough, though, to the Maldives. China, man, get your stuff together, man. If SpaceX can reuse their rockets, shout out to my main man, Elon, you can too with your projected $2.7 trillion invested by 2030. In other news, I just celebrated a birthday. Was a great day, minus a bit of a stomach bug, but Mrs. Duval bought me a brand new grill and took me out to a fancy dinner. Plus, my amazing mother-in-law, who I might add listens to all of my shows, bought me a new computer to replace the aging iMac so I can continue to do the Derek Duval show stress and intense frustration free. Thanks, guys. Love you both. So, episode 16. We've got a fantastic guest from The Optimist Daily, CEO and a brand new friend of the show, the incredible Summers McKay. You want to discuss amazing women? <laughs> this lady has a place in my Hall of Fame. She is incredible. You'll understand when you listen. I also want to pay tribute to a true hero. So, let's not stand on ceremony and let's just get right into it. And now, Derek Duvall's Thoughts on Life. Anyone who knows me on any kind of personal level is very much aware of my love for Apollo 11. For those who fell asleep in history class, and you should be ashamed of yourselves, that's the mission that put the first men on the moon. Now, I am an avid collector of Apollo 11 artifacts, and I am very lucky to have a curated collection of autographs from all three Apollo 11 astronauts, Buzz Aldrin, Michael Collins, and of course, the late Neil Armstrong. I was heartbroken the other day to learn that the great pilot of the mission, Michael Collins, has passed away at the age of 90 after a battle with cancer. Cancer, you suck. To me, the Apollo 11 mission is the pinnacle of our human evolution and our human history. To leave our planet and set foot on another body in space was truly the first event that united the entire planet. And also what makes Michael Collins so special is he was the only one in the universe that never got to see the first steps on the moon as it happened. Hence the quote, the loneliest man in the galaxy. Michael Collins, you are an incredible human being. Rest in peace. You truly are a titan in the history of our world. Okay. Is everyone ready to meet the next guest of our show? Duval Nation, I want to welcome to the show for the first time and direct from Austin, Texas, the CEO of the Optimist Daily, Summers McKay. Summers, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? 
I am doing well, Derek. Thank you so much for having me on. I can't oh. complain. It's a pretty day and a springtime and who's got anything to complain about, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I start my interviews with the exact same question every time. And that is basically, how has the COVID world been treating you? So we are really fortunate that nobody in our uh, immediate family has had COVID, but I will be straightforward as a working mom, a full-time working mom with a toddler, uh, COVID was really, 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 really tough. Figuring out with a job that I have and love professionally, and then a job that I have and love maternally, balancing those two has been really hard. And this past week in particular, my daughter has been down with a bug. We actually relocated our family to Austin, Texas from California during COVID uh, because we needed more space for us all to be and we wanted her to be able to have childcare and be in a school. And unfortunately, now that she is not feeling great, um, nothing major, no COVID, but something that would preclude her from going to school, it has been probably, I would say, one of the toughest weeks that I have had in this oh, last year. So. Oh I am worn out. I am <laughs> I am ready ready for a better chapter. Do you work from home or are you in are you in an office setting right now? So I work from home. Uh, I the team at the Optimist Daily is a remote team. Some of our team members have begun to return to uh, one of our headquarters in Santa Barbara, but for the most part we all work remotely and I am in a home office. And uh, that was a choice that I made when we moved, when, you know, the company made the decision and we agreed that my family and I were all okay to move to Austin, Texas, that I would stay remote until such time as we built an office here. So that's, that's good. I, I you're very fortunate. <laughs> Not so many people have that, that flexibility. So, yeah, yeah no, fortunate. and that, exactly. That's why I say when there's, there's kind of nothing to complain about, right? There's just abundant flexibility in the role that I have and the team that I get to work with. And I have so much compassion for folks who don't have the ability to work from home. And and I will say anybody who has kids, you know that you can't effectively work from home with toddlers at home, right? Like you're not actually working. And uh, we're, we've, so many people are excited to return to the office because we can stop quote unquote phoning it in and pretending we work during COVID. Yes. Right? My, my so, biggest sympathy has always been with teachers having to do online lessons. It's, it's, how they do it is, I, I consider them to be truly one of the heroes of the epidemic. I wholeheartedly agree. You know, earlier in my career, I taught at UCLA Anderson in the business school. And uh, when I relocated to join my husband in Central California, I went online and started teaching online. And that was some of the toughest teaching I had ever done. Now, I think 10 years later, technology has evolved, the world has evolved. Online teaching probably has a lot more resources, but taking an offline course and having to turn it into an online course was one of my biggest professional challenges. So it's actually teacher appreciation week for my daughter's school this week. And I am just flooding her teacher with everything I can give her because I couldn't appreciate her more. So I like to start at the beginning. Uh, where did you okay. grow up exactly? And what inspired you to pursue this life journey that you're currently on? Well, I, uh, I grew up twofold. I grew up in a suburb in Denver, Colorado, and my family and I relocated to California uh, when I was entering seventh grade. 
So I spent my life kind of in a split Colorado, California experience. I have always loved outdoors. I've loved nature. I have been a gardener my whole life. And I've also been a storyteller my whole life. So when I was a little girl, I would sit and hold story time at recess at class at or recess at school. And I would have like a little group and I now know it's like circle time, but I would just tell stories. I would just make up stories. And so my whole life, I've really, really enjoyed telling positive and inspiring stories. Uh, as I grew up, I had the amazing opportunity to intern at some soap operas when I was in high school mm-hmm. and uh, intern at Paramount Studios for a few years and pursued a career in uh, media and entertainment. I studied it at university and then I found myself neck deep in the world of reality television production and it was dark mm. and it was not positive and I had these amazing shows that I wanted to put out into the universe and the networks kept coming back and being like, but can't they fight more? <laughs> and it felt so icky. And, you know, anybody who has been, who has loved the brain candy that is reality TV, you also know that it's not always. And, and it wasn't at the time that that was the, the focus of my career. It wasn't about the good stories. It's kind of one of those so, check, check your principles at the door kind of thing. Uh, that's, that's exactly. Like. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you, you as a producer get really good at like getting people to say stuff. And I found myself getting the folks who are on our shows to say things. And I was like, Oh, Oh, I judge me. I judge me so much. I need, I need some, I need like a spiritual cleansing for, mm-hmm. you know, making, making this drama when it just, when it could be positive. Uh, makes sense. I I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, manufactured entertainment can be very, very you know forgiving, and it can be very damning sometimes too. Yes, yes, exactly. Now, now you're a grad from from Berkeley uh, and a master's from UCLA Anderson. What do you remember most from your college years? So what I remember most from my college years, I, I came from a very small educational environment uh, for high school, which was incredibly rigorous, but also incredibly supportive. And when I chose Berkeley, I chose to do a great big school where there wasn't going to be a lot of help, where it was just, you got to figure it out. And so what I remember most about my experience going from that small, very supportive environment to Berkeley was just realizing that like when the chips are down and something's not working and there's a brick wall in front of you, you either go over it, around it or through it, but nobody is going to give you the path. And what, while educationally, my high school was just so amazing, socially and sort of with moxie and grit is what I learned at Berkeley. I will admit that I was also at Berkeley during the dot-com time. So it was really easy to get very easily distracted by <laughs> internships in the city. And so I moved relatively quickly through my required education at Cal and then jumped right into internships in the city. And boy, oh boy, was that a fun time. And there was just the dot-com bubble. And it was, you know, it was a heck of a time to be a 20-something in San Francisco. (laughs) (laughs) So your philosophy is do well, do good in an approach to business. How did that originate? And how over the years has that mantra evolved? I will say that that has been something that is at my core, and I would credit some of my early educators uh, in high school, as well as family and friends. Um, 
there, it's always been very clear to me that you could grow a meaningful, impressive, and impactful business with strong financial liability at the same time you were doing something good for the world. The positive nature of business itself can create and affect positive change. I think, uh, you know, from very, very early on, I was committed to the idea of making things better, whether it be uh, making things better with my friends and helping them through their lives, making things better in my community, volunteering. And also, I always really struggled because I have like a family that's very financially, you know, has uh, in the finance industry. Mm-hmm. And there was this separation of volunteering and economy and economics. And like they existed in different worlds. And as a idealistic, bubbly little girl, I was like, why can't we make volunteering make money? <laughs> right? Why can't I have the mansion and do good? And and perhaps it's my obstinance, right? So my my parents would have probably preferred I not go to Berkeley, maybe a more <laughs> conservative school. Like, but my my sheer abstinence of damn it, I'm gonna do good and do well. So it's like a combination of naivete, obstinance, and determination that doing good and doing well can coexist. And I think really when I was producing the reality TV, um, that's actually when I stepped back from my career. And because I looked at the business models that were existing on reality TV and with all the production companies, you know, basically coming in and out of business and, and things. And I thought there has to be a better business model to this. And that's when I stepped back from that career left it and went to Anderson to get my business degree. I have been looking into your incredible life and some things that stick out to me where you're, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I'm just gonna be flat out you. Your amazing athletic skills. Okay. <laughs> Running marathons, uh, triathlete, and a mountain climber, apparently, which I want to add, you are the very <laughs> first guest of the Derek Duvall show to do that. Um, how many marathons have you ran and tell me about climbing Kilimanjaro. Okay. So I've, I've, ran okay I've done 10 marathons um and I uh I did have to stop marathoning but um doing those 10 marathons for me was really about uh, a point in my life when I needed to make a pivot and I needed to address some change and the training and the experience and the diligence of doing marathons is part of what I really got to um turning points in my life. I I was actually making decisions to end my first marriage, which it turned out was not the right place for me to grow and glow. And going on uh, long-term marathoning runs really was helping me get clarity in who I was and who I wanted to be. Um, I found a great training partner, um, kind of a soul sister in the journey who helped me. And the the marathons were just such a meaningful and important part of my life from that marathoning, right? Like I, you got to level up. So then, then we got into triathlons, which was incredible fun. And I loved it. And triathlons, I think, you know, I got to do everything I enjoy doing and being in the ocean is probably one of my favorite things in the world. I love riding bikes and yeah, the running part's not my favorite, but I can get it done. Uh, <clears throat> Kilimanjaro to me came from, I've always been a solo traveler. I've been a solo journeyer kind of person. And making the decision to go climb Kilimanjaro was one that I made as I sat in the back of a 
program that I created at UCLA, and I, I felt very proud of the work we were doing, but I also knew that it was going to live its own life, and I needed to go do something for myself. So I booked a trip, and I went, and I went alone, <laughs> and I had the most amazing experience. I trained. I was game on, spot on, ready to go climb it, and I had the most amazing experience climbing it. And big part of that came from the fact that I actually had to turn around two miles from the summit. That's incredible. I'm not gonna lie to you. It takes <laughs> you're I like said before, you're the first person to 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 even attempt that that I know of on my show. So Well, uh, it it was it was about um, you know, when you when you go to travel, and I've been fortunate to travel all over the world, but when you go on adventure travel, so much of it is about uh getting into yourself and your psyche and your soul. And for me, I really going to climb that mountain was again at another point of pivot and change in my life. And it was step-by-step step the hardest thing I've ever done. And as I got to, I, you know, I developed bronchial pneumonia while I was on the mountain oh, and on I'll that last you. day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great, great timing. But on that last day, as I climbed, I was one-on-one -on -one with a guide. And there, when you go to climb Kilimanjaro or any of these mountains, there are teams of local porters and people who help you, right? There's local teams who help get all these tourists up and down a mountain. And so for us, it's like this big deal that we did it once. For them, they do it 15, 16 times a year with half the equipment we do. So it's, you know, it's impressive only because here I am, this like abundant lady sitting in her Western you know, style home, <laughs> like that. <laughs> but it's not that impressive in the context of the other people in the world. And uh, it, for me, as, as I sat with my cough and I just couldn't breathe and I looked at my guide and he was just an amazing human being and he was waiting for me to make the decision. But had I not, I think he would have made the decision. But I, I sat on that mountain and I cried and I knew that it was my ego or my life if I didn't turn around. Mm -hmm. And so I chose to turn around and come back down and I sobbed and sobbed. And then I thought, you know, the victory was in showing up and trying. Mm -hmm. And for me, that is a mantra in life is even if it's a mountain that you don't get to the top, show up at the bottom, show up and try, just take steps forward. You don't know if you can change the world, but not knowing if you can doesn't mean you shouldn't try. That has got to be one of the most poetic, beautiful things I may have heard in my life. I'm going to probably commit that to memory. That's, that's very good. Thank okay. you. You're welcome. Okay, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. Make sure you use this time wisely to stretch, refill your drink, and do those deep breathing exercises we always talk about, Clouseau style. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Out with the bad air, in with the good. We want to take a minute to recognize our sponsor and highlight two friends of the show. And then, you know what? We'll be right back. Hello there, Gigawater gang. I'm Kina, the host of the boozy and delightfully foul-mouthed comedy podcast, Historical AF. I'm a nerdy public historian that is joined by a special guest each week to deliver funny, weird, spooky, and morbid historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. Past topics have included the magical manhood of Russia's mad monk Rasputin, my hot take the aliens did not build the pyramids, serial killers that both my parents happened to meet as children. Listen, I know what you're thinking, Kina, how do you even exist right now? Also, who was it? All right, I'll tell you. Spoiler alert, it was Sean Wayne Gacy and Mark Allen Smith. 
Anywho, we can't forget the spooky. I've covered topics ranging from the ghosts of Anne Boleyn to the night marchers in Hawaii. Don't look at them, guys. If you do, you have to strip naked and you have to lay on the dirt. Dim's the rules. You can listen and subscribe to Historical AF wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Historical AF Pod. And finally, you can check out the website for links to listen, sources, because sighting is sexy, photos, and more at historicalafpodcast.com. Okay, bye! Today's show is brought to you by Bruch. Bruch is an electric toothbrush that will change the way you think about brushing your teeth. With powerful sonic technology and ultra-gentle bristles, the Bruch redefines what it means to have super clean teeth. It's like that feeling when you just leave the dentist a fresh, whole mouth clean every single day. Our listeners get 15% off their total purchase with code POD15, P-O-D-1-5. Follow the link in the show notes and enter the code P-O-D-1-5 to get your exclusive discount and upgrade your oral care routine. Be sure to let them know that the Derek Duvall Show sent you. Hey everyone, I'm Nikki. And I'm Tyler. And we are page turners and button mashers. Do you guys love books, games, or even both? Well, we have the podcast for you. I come in with a book of the week, sometimes a series of books, and give you the tip to tail of the book and base on how many pages turned it was worth. Then I follow up with a game of the week and give you the ins and outs of what to expect, how many awards, and of course, how much I loved it. So if you love books, if you love games, and if you love witty openings, then you should totally tune into Page Turners and Button Mashers. Well, that's that. I think my job interview went pretty well. That's awesome. What do you think was the hardest part? Probably selling myself like I'm the cure for some stupid disease. Did you remember to send a thank you card to the recruiter? A thank you card? I have no idea what to even put, let alone where to get a pretty decent looking card. Man, what am I going to do? Relax. Go to the Crafted Rose, frippery for all occasions. There you will find a plethora of excellent cards to choose from. Wow. Hitting the website up now. My partner will love the custom wreaths, and I could totally use a new notebook. Thanks for showing me the missing link in my life. You're welcome. Now get that thank you card ordered and in the mail. The Crafted Rose. Frippery for all occasions. Find the shop on www.fripperybyrose.com. Use the promo code DuvalFans20 for a 20% discount on all items for fans of this show. Welcome back to the show, Don't you feel better after all that deep breathing? You know, Mr. Miyagi himself signs off on the idea that breathing is the basic of life. Don't believe me? Then watch the Far Superior Karate Kid 2 to see what amazing things that breathing can do. Suit yourself. All right, let's conclude our interview with the CEO of the Optimist Daily, Summers McKay. In 2020, you were named Chief Executive Officer of the Optimist Daily, I'm not going to lie, pretty positive news publisher where we really enjoy it. Talk about what excited you the most in taking on such a prestigious position. Well, I couldn't have been more fortunate than to find a for-profit business doing good, doing well, telling positive stories in the world. It's as if I created a vision board and said, could this company please show up? Because I didn't have the means to create it myself, right? That it takes a lot of money to get a publishing enterprise started. It takes a lot of people. And uh, as, as the individual solopreneur, I had 
started a number of do good, do well businesses myself, but in an underfunded uh, entrepreneur way, it's really hard to get a business off the ground. And so I was so blessed that through some of the other work I did, uh, I was living in Santa Barbara at the time doing, um, you know, consulting. The folks at the Optimist Daily came to me and they said that they had been running this magazine, this online magazine. Uh, It had previously been an offline magazine, turned it to an online magazine. And they wanted to know basically what the viability of the business model was. And would I come do some analytics for them on viability? Well, when I looked into the numbers and the unbelievable commitment of the reader list, right? They sent at the time, it was just a daily newsletter that would go out. The amount of people who on their reader list were opening these emails every single day, right? Like emails like 1996 level emails, right? Opening emails every single day, reading these articles. And then on top of that, sharing these articles. I was like, all right, there's a thing here. Then adding into the layer of the voluntary number of people who were just because they liked it, not because of any increased level of service or anything else, just paying $5 a month because they just liked what the Optimist Daily was doing. I was so excited to see this passionate little business of highly invested writers, journalists, and readers. And I thought, okay, let's put some real technology behind it. Let's see what we can do to grow the business model. So the fact that, you know, I did this study with them and I said, guys, you really, you really have a thing here. And I really like this thing that you have here. I'd really like to help you with this thing you have here. And, uh, and, and that is where we grew from. Uh, there is an amazing team. My chief content officer, uh, Christy Jansen, leads the editorial direction of the Optimist Daily. We keep ourselves, our business, and our editorial separate so that we maintain that transparency and journalistic integrity. And our key investors, Lala and Ronaldo Brudico, are so on this spiritual journey to change consciousness through positive news media. And they're committed on both a, you know, emotional, tactical and financial level to bringing this thing to the viability. And you just don't get, you know, you just don't get this lucky as an entrepreneur to be invited into a business like this that has good and growth. So I, I am really excited about it. Um, they were crazy. They named me CEO uh, about a week before I gave birth to my daughter. <laughs> I was and, about to bring that up later, yes. Yep. That was, uh, that was foolhardy for sure, but also an incredible testament to the changing nature of work and the changing nature of motherhood and work and recognizing that bringing opportunities and business into life and how they can coexist is actually really important for businesses of the future. And boy, oh boy, has COVID taught us that, right? We at the Optimist Daily, we kind of joke that we, everybody was ready for work from home because I was on, uh, I, I was on bed rest and then maternity leave and then had a subsequent surgery after my daughter was born. So I worked from home prior to, I'd actually only been back in the office for three months when COVID hit. Oh, wow. So we, uh, we, we were well prepared, but it, it, you know, at the end of the day, 
businesses have this opportunity to create more inclusive work environments and to recognize that work is when you can do it, not where you can do it. The office model is now officially outdated. It can be done yeah. from home. It can, people can, you know, maintain a private life and a work life from home with rare exception, obviously, you know, you know, first responders and such, but right. it, it's proven that, you know, you don't have to be in a, in a building for eight hours a day when you can be in the comfort of your own home working responsibly. Exactly. Exactly. And that assumption that um, people won't work if they're not under the thumb or under the eye of a clock is, you know, we're beginning to learn that people actually do have their best intentions, right? Like people are not just going to phone it in. What it also does though, is is it levels up the game for requirement for employers to make work engaging and to, it's not just find, you know, oh, do what you love, love what you do. And employers are party to that behavior, right? Employers have to make their teams more collaborative. And I've written about this at length, but the hierarchical structure of get your job done doesn't work in this next chapter of work. It is more of a aggregate collaborative model where there's partnership. And of course, there's responsibility and the ways that we teach one another to work and you know, people who are more senior have responsibilities that are different than people who have just entered the the team. But it's on employers to make work more engaging as much as it is on employees to engage in work. So you mentioned earlier, obviously, you know, the work-life balance. How, how, what advice would you give to any upcoming executives who are trying to negotiate both? So... I, first and foremost, I'd be like, balance is hogwash, right? Like, right. it's not happening. So stop pretending we're going to balance and instead reduce your expectation of that separation. So if you're showing up to the Zoom meeting and you have like Play-Doh in your hair and toddler yogurt on your skirt, it just doesn't matter, right? That doesn't affect your ability to do your job well. Or in the event that it crashes together mercilessly as it has for me for this past week, right? When your child has, you know, diarrhea, which is like gross, but like at the end of the day, toddlers get it and they get kicked out of school for a week and you can't work very well. You take your calls from the road. Yesterday, we recorded Optimus Daily Update podcast while I was driving up and down the road with my daughter sleeping in the back. That's right? outstanding. <laughs> you just stop pretending that there is a separation because there isn't. And once we accept that there, there can certainly be times where you prioritize meetings and you get help to help care for your children, right? But stop pretending that you are one person at work and one person at home. You are just one person. I think the other advice I would give is, and I get very frustrated whenever people are like, make sure to pick your partner and make sure you have somebody who will help you. Because like, at the end of the day, women in relationships or parents, like you have the partner you have, and it's just like, you just get through. So find other areas of support, find a great school that you can put your child in, find other ways regardless of your relationship. And that's something that I think I would love to hear people talk less about is like, have a great partner. Yeah. Wouldn't we wish we all did, right? Couldn't we all just like wish we had the fairy tale, but at the end of the day, you can still be a great, responsible, productive person 
even if you are not in that traditional family, like two parent unit, right? So let's like step away from the notion that like you have to be happily married to have a job, a kid and work. Right. So I, I will say this. I had not heard of Optimus Daily until I knew you were coming on my show. I went and checked it out. I feel like it's like being given a soft blanket to guard yourself from <laughs> the strife and horrors of the world that we that we live in, if only for a few moments. When people like me who are unaware of the Optimus Daily approach you, how do you describe it to them? So at the Optimus Daily, we like to give you exactly as you described. We want to give you a daily dose of optimism, positive solutions-based journalism, right? You're going to start each morning, whether it's by looking at us on the site, getting our daily newsletter, listening to the podcast. You're going to have a brief time in the morning where you're going to learn something informative. You're going to get news, but it's news focused on solutions. Yes, we know there are 140 million things wrong with the world. Let's start each day thinking about the solutions that you're going to have to make it better place. So we cover politics. We cover the climate. We cover gender. We cover social justice. And we cover it in a way that allows you to change the dialogue from all the things that are wrong to instead all the things you can do right. And that is very, very much what the Optimist Daily is, is it's your, your morning dose of optimism to enjoy as you sip your coffee. In the last year, obviously, you know, it's been horrible, tragic news cycle. I mean, probably yeah. of an unprecedented scale. Some celebrities have stepped up to lighten the, the, the load of note, um, but brought to mind uh, John Krasinski's Some Good News. I was yes. wondering, did you ever get a chance to see it? What was your reaction? Yes, so we did. We did get a chance to see it. We reached out to him like 3,000 different ways, and I'm sure he's quite busy. Uh, all of, you know, there is so much room for solutions journalism. There's also so much room for humor, and I think humor is so valuable in moving things forward. Uh, we have a lot of wonderful compatriots in the solution journalism world, and having stuff like John Krasinski's show and other networks that are positive news stories just levels up the game. I love them. And I thought it was great. And I still think he needs to come on Optimus Daily Update. So if anybody knows him, send him our way because Christy and I are ready to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, real quick, could you talk about the emissary program? Yes, happily. Okay. So as I mentioned before, the coolest thing about this business is there's this, this group of people who want to support the Optimist Daily. We are on a path to become solely reader funded and not relying on our investors. And we are heading in that direction. We never want to take advertising. And so to be successful, we have these paying members whom we call our emissaries. And we have people who pay five, 15, and believe it or not, $50 a month just because they like what we do. There are a few actual like perks of being an emissary in the sense that you get a longer daily newsletter, but all the stories are available for free online. And we are determined to keep the Optimist Daily free for all who need it, but supported by those who can. And those are our emissaries. Some of our emissaries also give the gift of optimism, right? They give a yearly membership to people they love because they want to commit to the Optimist Daily and spread the message. So our emissary program is how we are funding the Optimist Daily. And I continue to just be amazed at how many people without actually really like any requirement, they're just happy to do it and they do it and they sign up and then they do it year over year and month over month. And I just, I love our emissaries. So thank you to everyone who is one. And if you aren't already, consider it, please. <laughs> what does the future for Optimus Daily uh, look like? And are there any special plans in the works? 
So we are moving into a lot of online webinars and education, which is funny because we talked about online education. Uh, we will be doing a uh, webinar in the uh, end of the summer called the neuroscience of Opti the neuroscience of optimism and understanding the positive benefits of optimism. We're also going to do a whole series on media literacy and understanding the value of media literacy and the effects that it can have on making the world a better place. Uh, we are growing the Optimus Daily Update podcast. We are, you know, growing our list and we're beginning to work with writers, you know, not just our own internal editorial team, but expanding our thought leader series, which is the Optimus View, which we deliver on Sundays. So we're just, we're growing and uh, having a lot of fun doing it. We're really proud of the business we have. Can you please let my audience know how best to connect with you and the Optimist Daily on social media? Yes. So look for Optimist Daily on social media everywhere. Just search the Optimist Daily. It's a red logo with O. The one caveat on that is on Twitter, we are owed to optimism because Twitter, somebody else has Optimus Daily and Twitter won't let us have it. So Aww. darn you, Twitter, <laughs> that problem. But uh, yeah, Optimus Daily. And then you can also follow me anywhere on the socials. It's just Summers McKay. Uh, you can, it's just Summers McKay. You can check for the spelling on, I'm sure the show notes. Um, I'd love to, love to continue the positive dialogue with everyone. That's awesome. Okay. I finished my interviews with my absolute okay. favorite question. Yes. If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would like to say to the people of Earth? It's going to get better. That's what I like to say to the people of Earth. It's going to get better, and we are all responsible for making it better. We're responsible every day. We are in this together as a collaborative community, as a collaborative community of the planet Earth, we have the tools to make every day better for everyone. So if you're needing a lift, just know that optimism is real and it is momentum building and we are headed in that direction. I love it. That's fantastic. Summers, thank you so much for coming on the Derek Duvall Show. I, on behalf of myself, my fans, I just want to wish you continued success in all your endeavors. This has been phenomenal. Thank you, Derek. It's such a pleasure to be here. I love what you do. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll call you back sometime. We'll talk movies. Outstanding. <laughs> Got it. Okay. All right. All thank right, you very everybody. much. Thank you. And just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the end of episode 16 of the Derek Duval Show. I'm telling you, Summers is a truly remarkable woman. And I am completely honored to have had her on my show and hopefully not for the last time. I absolutely cannot wait for our next episode. I have a multitude of amazing interviews that have been recorded with some truly remarkable people. And man, I'm just not going to lie to you. Some of them are just going to leave you in complete awe. Guaranteed. Have you had your vaccine yet, Duval Nation? Myself and Mrs. Duval have, and we have been carefully been able to do some social things. And damn it, does it feel good to be able to say that. The vaccine is free. And yes, I'm not going to lie, there are a few mild discomforts, but we all need to do our part so that things can get back to normal. Normal, people. Normal. Normal means things like concerts, ball games, family gatherings, hell, even vacations. Stop being so damn combative and just get the shot. You can be the change you want to see in the world if you choose to be. Hey, Derek. I've had some friends ask, how might they be able to help support The Derek Duvall Show? 
It's funny you say that, Mrs. Duvall. I believe they can go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, and click at the very bottom of the page the link that says, Buy Me a Coffee. The listener's support goes far to bringing quality entertainment day in and day out. Their support is greatly, greatly appreciated. I also have one quick request from Mrs. Duvall. Have you seen Hamilton yet? No? You better watch it. It's very addicting. I totally get the appeal. Props to having it at your fingertips on Disney+. Plus. Damn thing is paying for itself in this house. Plus, having the soundtrack on in the background seems to make time go by quicker somehow. So on behalf of the entire team here at The Derek Duvall Show, I want to say, be good, be well, and like I just said, get the damn vaccine. Who knows? Maybe by episode 25, I won't have to ask the COVID question anymore. And for those who might be curious, yes, I have been brainstorming a few post-COVID world questions. Remember, Duval Nation, the Pet Shop Boys really do need to do a world tour because that's a bucket list concert for me, guys. Nosta, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duval Show. And we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, for the latest news on downloads and to explore past episodes. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show.